Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. It's time to check your Wealth DNA so you can enjoy the second half of life. Here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Welcome to the Wealth DNA radio show. Today is an exciting August 8th, 2011. Uh, Just an oh, by the way, this is one one of those 12 days of the year that are written the same in Europe and the U.S., you send dates to Europe or vice versa, you've got to make sure you're, you're using the actual month spelled out. Otherwise, you have the dates reversed. I'm back in Arizona. It's 8 o'clock here and uh, much later in Europe where I was last week. And just moved into our fourth temporary office since the fire two months ago. So if you're hearing my voice, not only did we overcome some technical problems, but that means the new network, microphones, all equipment that was lost in the fire, We've replaced and it's working. Now, if my voice sounds scratchy or hoarse, it has nothing to do with our equipment or yours. During these four moves, somewhere I lost my voice. If you happen to see it, please give me a call. I'd love to get it back. It's gradually coming back after several days of medication. You know those lousy kinds of meds, the ones that say you can't drink alcohol and irritate the hell out of your stomach. And as I mentioned at the last show, close of the last show, I said I'd be one year older and intentionally deeper in debt. And that's what I am. As you all know, last week was a very eventful week. We now know that the U.S. Congress, the Senate, the administration reached an agreement to avoid the U.S. defaulting on its debt. An agreement that none of them are happy with. But it was the best they could negotiate in three and a half months. Well, the problem is, of course, they didn't start their serious negotiations until the last three and a half days. They agreed to raise the debt ceiling and to lower the deficit somewhere around $150 billion a year. Sounds impressive, except over the last few years, the debt has, these deficits gone up by about $400 billion a year. I'm certainly not proud of their accomplishment. It's so bad that even the S&P rating service downgraded the U.S. credit rating just one notch for now. So now we can say the U.S. credit worthiness is worse than batches of subprime loans, which had a AAA rating. We also know that the majority of those subprime loans either have defaulted or will default. So the U.S. has got a lower rating. Today is the last part of our three-part series on OPM. I didn't say opium, OPM, the initials. We'll cover three topics. We'll explain First of all, a little bit more on this uh, macroeconomic picture, why the new debt ceiling really opens up an opportunity for investors like you and me. And if you don't take advantage of it, I will be. Second, we'll talk about margin as a source of OPM. And thirdly, private lenders as a source of OPM. 
This way, after today's show, we'll have covered five sources of OPM. And if you can't go find some, that means you're not trying. If you missed either of the two prior shows on OPM, you can find archives on www.wealthdna.us. Let me remind you, you're listening to the Wealth DNA radio show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki, and look forward to joining us every second and fourth Monday. I should add for some listeners that OPM not only is not opium, it stands for other people's money. Most listeners know that, but let's just make sure that there might be some new folks and um, they now know it's other people's money. That's what we're talking about. But before we dig into that, let me talk a little bit about this higher U.S. debt ceiling and what's happening in Europe as well. It provides an important backdrop to using other people's money and how investors like you and me can reap huge rewards if they follow the advice in this program. Of course, the rest will have a huge drop in their standard of living over the next five years if they don't follow this advice. The choice, as always, is yours. If you have the desire to be wealthy, we'll help provide the knowledge, and then it's up to you to take the action. I just reminded you of Wealth DNA stands for the three obstacles to wealth. Ready for some heavy macroeconomics today? Feel free to warm up your coffee. Just turn up the volume if you have to step out to do that, since we're going to dig right in. We're not going to take a coffee break here. First, notice that the government funds most of its expenses with tax revenue, which is money you and I pay if we're earning money and don't have sufficient tax deductions. Paying taxes isn't all that bad if they're a reasonable rate. It means, first of all, you're earning money. And sharing a portion of those earnings is not all that bad. Unfortunately, in the U.S. alone, there's about 51% that don't pay any income taxes. So they're perfectly happy with government spending on more social programs and will likely vote for the current administration to keep doing what they're doing. Because, hell, it's not hurting them. They're not paying for it. They're gaining. But that's the tax side of it. Now, there's a second part of government spending, the deficit, which is the amount they spent above and beyond tax revenues. That deficit is funded with other people's money, OPM. For simplicity, simplicity let me use the U.S. example. Uh, first of all, because my voice is weak and it would be hard to say U.S. and Europe and other countries, but let me use the terminology in the U.S. example just because it's been in the news. The same concept applies to, and probably is even worse in Europe at the moment, that other people's money, that OPM, comes from who? It comes from other governments, individuals, a great extent, banks, or companies that lend money to the U.S. government, or, again, whichever government we're talking about. I'm going to focus on the U.S. To make it not sound like lending, they use phrases like buying T-bills, or buying T-bonds, or investing in T-bills or T-bonds. Buying is a misnomer. A T-bond is a loan, not something you own. Let me repeat that. A T-bond is a loan, as is a T-bill. It is not something you own. Those that attended our seminars are nodding their heads, saying, yep, I remember the loan versus own framework. And very clearly, we lend to the government. We don't own a damn thing when, when we uh, get those T-bills or T-bonds. Now, what would happen if the U.S. debt ceiling were not raised last week, even at least temporarily? 
Well, the government is spending about one and a half trillion, trillion with a T, more annually than it earns from tax revenue. Now, there are a number of ways to solve this to get down to fit within the tax revenue, just like most household deal, households have to deal with exactly the same problem. We all have a budget. Each of us have also a debt ceiling. Probably didn't think of it that way, but your own personal debt ceiling is the total amount of liquid assets you have plus the credit limit. The various credit limits all added together. So if we spend everything we have and fill all our credit cards and all of our other loans with debt, we hit our debt ceiling. What would we do? And that's the easiest way to picture the dilemma that the U.S. was in. We can beg banks or other other, other OPM sources to raise the limit, or we have to get more drastic. Drastic like cutting expenses. Cutting our spending, getting rid of cell phones, cable TV, eating out, eating less, walking more, driving only when needed, and maybe turning the AC up to 85 degrees or higher. Some people say that's unbelievable. I couldn't live like that. If you didn't have a choice, you do it. The government has a choice. That's the problem. If we run businesses, we cut spending on equipment, supplies, like I went and bought new network equipment and microphones, all of this kind of stuff, mainly because I had to. But if we had no cash and no money, we wouldn't have that choice. We'd be cutting staff, advertising, sponsorships, and probably even selling off some assets. The government has a few more accounting gimmicks that they can use more than we have, like they've done, quite frankly, since the debt ceiling was reached beginning in the beginning of April, actually. It was uh, early April, I don't remember the exact date, April 9th or 10th, when we reached the official debt ceiling. And since then, they've been playing gowning games. Remember California just about a year ago using IOUs when they ran out of money? That's also OPM. And the U.S. government owes so much that we have a problem. It's not their problem, it's our problem. Why? Let me go back to the analogy of us. If we owe a bank, let's say $140,000, our mortgages or our debts or whatever, and we can't pay, we individually have a problem. Now, the government owes $14 trillion. That is so much that if they couldn't pay, then the banks, the individuals, the countries that lent them the money have a problem. Do you own some T-bills, T-bonds? You willing to take a haircut, as they call it, or it's right off half of the value? That's what we're talking about. One of the things the government, like any household, could do also is declare bankruptcy. In essence, default on those debts and let the courts and lenders help work out a solution. In other words, yes, I'll take on 50% of the value of the T-bond. I know I bought it for $10,000, but give me five and some interest payments eventually and I'll settle for that. Doesn't sound like a good solution for you, does it? Or for the other governments, or for the banks, or anybody else. If that happens, the U.S. dollar would devalue very quickly and drop so much in value that you see future tax revenues and the new loans they take out will make it far easier to pay off the old debts because they were in the former expensive dollars. The new dollars will be plentiful devaluation. In other words, the old OPM the government had devalues and it's easier to pay off in the future. 
are you hearing a strategy that could be used by us? That's exactly what I'm talking about. The government has paved a path, more than that, to write off old OPM with cheaper dollars. And the strategy they chose was to raise the debt ceiling, to print more money, like has been done in the trillions recently. And the U.S. debt keeps devaluing anyway, just more gradually. And the U.S. dollar shrinks in value. You've seen it over the last few years. It's been declining for years and will continue and maybe accelerate as more debtors become worried and say, enough, I don't want to risk this default, especially after a downgrade. Different approaches, by the way, the same outcome. Let me repeat that. Different approaches the government could have chosen, either raise the debt ceiling or default. Different approaches, the same outcome. Different in terms of rate of devaluation, but the end result is the same. The old debt is devalued and paid off, ultimately, with new debt. Are you starting to see why each of us should maximize the use of OPM? denominated in these old dollars. When the U.S. devalues, U.S. dollar devalues, it'll be far easier to pay off your debt too. The government will be able to pay off their debt easier, and so will you and I. Any investments you make, or I make, I'm going to use you, so we're talking about you, I'm going to do these things anyway, will pay you in new dollars at new rates, and you're on your way to big spreads on that other people's money. If you have to have a salary, you'll be getting raises or you'll threaten to find another job. Employers will still need to keep their key employees. The best will get raises to keep up with or at least close to inflation. Many, of course, will lose their jobs, which means more unemployment, more spending, and more money printing or default. Yeah, we've covered some deep macroeconomics, macroeconomics today. And my voice still held up pretty well. I mean, it takes a sip of water once in a while. So if you hear a gulping noise, I'm going to apologize. But uh, it's, um, it is um, a bit of a struggle anyway. It is important to know why we have this huge impro- opportunity in front of us. See, the government has paved the way for us. Just like any other crisis, it's like any other crisis. It is a window opportunity an opportunity for those that know the window's open and what the opportunity is. See, once the media understand it, which takes a long time, and then the public understands this bad news, it will be too late. The window will have closed. The people who acted ahead of the news will be wealthy. The window will be closed for the rest. The rest will say, I wish I woulda. Ever heard that phrase? I wish I woulda. I didn't get around to it. All of those good phrases, but it's too late. So, what's my advice? Borrow as much OPM as you can, just like the government's doing. The OPM in these old U.S. dollars, borrow as long-term as you can. And I love 30-year mortgages. They are absolutely perfect. Not only low rates, but also long-term. And with fixed rates, when you can. But don't be afraid of those variable rates, since you'll always be able to invest above the cost of those loans. Take the example of the home equity lines of credit today. They're running around 3% at most banks. Really cheap money, but they're variable. So that means as interest rates tick up, they will too. Let's say go to the 4% or 5%. Well, you can earn always more than those are charging you. 
So don't even worry about the variable rates, but when you can, fixed rates are absolutely perfect because your spread just keeps growing. It doesn't stay steady, it grows. Now, if you earn a higher return the way I do, the interest income will keep rising each year, and your payments will be in those new U.S. dollars that make it easier to pay off the old debt if you choose to. But either way, you're keeping the spread as your income. Maximize your use of OPM now. Now, not in two to three years, since you'll miss the huge opportunity the U.S. and the European governments have created for us. By the way, it looks like China has been doing the same. The problem with China is the data is harder to verify there. We hear about the empty cities that have been built, but really don't know a lot of the details. They don't release them. Their numbers are closely held and basically generate it the way they want them to. Other countries have also been accused of cooking their books, Hungary and Greece among them. But I'm sure the U.S. does some of it, and we know what uh, they do on the inflation picture. But China is definitely its own little world. Now let me remind you, we've covered a lot already. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. If you'd like to get a reminder directly to your email, you can do one of two things or do them both. Just send an email to me at ron at wealthdna.us. That's ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows or events. Or in the upper left-hand side of the screen, very top of the screen, just above my uh, picture of the Ten Commandments investing there, you're going to see a picture of the boomer and the bay. Just click the follow button under there, and you'll get informed of the good shows coming on. This show, as the name implies, Focus on building your wealth and understanding your wealth DNA. At the end of today's show, you're going to understand more about what your wealth DNA. Are you willing to take action on the knowledge that you pick up today? A lot of people won't. Reminder, there is a chat window. Sorry for the voice again. Chat window underneath the uh, picture, underneath the radio player. And if you have some comments or questions, feel free to add them in there in the chat window. We've got a lot to cover today, so I'm not going to encourage you to call in. And the second reason is whoever calls in is going to sound like their booming voice compared to mine today. If I didn't have a microphone, I spoke yesterday, if I didn't have a microphone, I would not have been heard. So a telephone would be a mismatch, too. As I mentioned at the start, we've got two more sources of OPM, other people's money, to cover today. First is margin accounts, and the second is private lenders. And besides this government help in devaluing the OPM we borrowed today or yesterday, there are some other reasons. I'll repeat them from the last show because I think they're important. So even if you listen to the last show, you might not have picked up on these. Why OPM is important? Number one, banks are not lending. For a variety of reasons, the most important reason is the banks don't have the money to lend. If you do some research on the TACT program, T-A-C-T program, you'll see why. Banks have so many toxic assets, and that's what the T-A stands for, so many toxic assets on their books that their balance sheet doesn't allow them to borrow more from the Fed to lend more. And, of course, the government is complaining that they're not lending enough. They're holding up the economy um, Former President Bill Clinton chimed in this uh, past week or two, making that comment that bank liquidity and bank loans are critical to growth and they're holding money back. I'm tempted to get a hold of them and let them know that it's not 
they're holding it back. They don't have a lot of option. Another reason they're not lending is interest rates are so low today, they won't stay that way, but they are so low today, they might as well just lend to the government. By the way, the U.S. government and the European governments need all the loans they can get just to keep operating because of that raised debt ceiling, because of all the money they're pumping out. So they encourage, or quite frankly, I've already gotten the message, they force the banks to lend to them. Yes, of course, come to the Fed and borrow at 0.1%. Of course, you're going to go lend that money across the street to the Treasury, correct? In other words, maybe you won't borrow, since your books are so bad, unless you lend to us. And then, of course, your assets are so solid with our AA-plus rating compared to the AAA just a couple days ago. Okay, there's a second reason that OPM is important. None of us today have, and I will assure you that none of us ever will have enough money to take advantage of all the investment opportunities that pay a higher return than the cost of OPM. When you reach that point, you're not looking. Because there is plenty of investment opportunities always paying more than the cost of other people's money. So the demand for money today is very high, partially because banks aren't lending. But even when banks were lending, I could always find attractive investments to earn a higher return. Now, this is such an important point, I've got to stress it a little bit more. And again, I'll repeat on what I said in the last show. If you have money to invest, whether your money or you go borrow OPM, you can easily and securely earn 5 to 12% per year. With a little bit more work, a little more risk, you can earn 15 to 18% pretty steadily. So that is part of your motivation. If you can buy, get OPM below 12%, you know that you can still make a spread. If you get it below 5%, you've got a real deal happening. And that's why I mentioned the home equity loans before. Mortgages, all under 5% today, and you can lend at 5% or more. No risk, I should say, and I shouldn't say that, no risk. There is always some risk in every investment, so scratch that last statement. Can't rewind Kenya on radio. But uh, there's always some risk, but the risk relative to the government defaulting and taking a haircut on your T-bills, i got to tell you, uh, I would worry less about the risk on the loans you make than the ones that you make to the government. I need to remind you, especially if you haven't been one of our Learn to Earn a Higher Return seminars, oh, by the way, the next one is tomorrow morning. I'll share the details later. I, I need to remind you of that 5 to 12%. Otherwise, without that knowledge, you wouldn't even consider using OPM to the extent possible and to the extent I recommend. And again, if you don't know to earn, earn those returns, Come to tomorrow's seminar or sit down with me for a cup of coffee, a glass of wine. My voice is gradually coming back, so I'll be scheduling more meetings. Please take it as a given for now. 5 to 12% secured investments without a lot of work, with a lot of, without a lot of time invested. Let's move on to our next source of OPM, margin, margin accounts. And I'm going to use a frequently asked question of the old FAQs format today on this so that you can kind of hopefully I'll cover the questions you would have had and we'll discuss it in that kind of sequence. I originally invited two different brokers to join me today 
Unfortunately, the securities industry has more red tape than the airlines. You know that commercial if you watch any TV. I watch about 10 minutes uh, a week or so and saw the commercial with the red tape. They couldn't get internal approval in time to appear for the show. That's an additional reason I don't have a security sales license. The main reason, of course, is I don't sell any securities. I just teach people and help them place their money into specific transactions. I don't sell and I don't earn a commission. Both of those things require security licenses. Let's address those FAQs on margin. What is a margin account? First of all, very simply, it's an account arranged by your brokerage firm linked to your main brokerage account. It is a separate account linked to your brokerage account. It allows you to borrow money against the money you have invested with them. We'll do some examples here shortly. Don't worry. That borrowed money can be used for lots of things. You could sell stock short. Wouldn't that have nice to done in the last few weeks, huh? Selling stock short means selling it today, getting the money for it, holding it in mar- holding margin against that, and buying back at a future date, hopefully at a lower price. And the way the stock market's been in the last uh, few weeks, and today is a horrendous day, you can do pretty well selling short. If you did sell short a few weeks ago, as I did, you made some nice returns. I've been too aggressively buying them back and making nice profits, and the market keeps dropping. So I guess I'll have to be more patient and not not, uh, buy it back so quickly. But you can make some really nice large returns when the market drops selling short. There are other things you can do with that money. We'll talk about those in a second. Can you have a margin account on any brokerage account? Because I'm sure many of you have brokerage accounts. Well, unfortunately not. Here's where some of the bad news comes in. Let's say you only own mutual funds. At a company like Fidelity or um, uh, Schwab may be an exception. I'd have to check that one. Or uh, Merrill Lynch or uh, Vanguard. Any any of them that have kind of their in-house mutual funds that they're going to advise you to be using. If you only own mutual funds with one of those mutual fund companies, chances are you'll not be able to get a margin account. There is an easy fix to that portion of it. If that's your situation, open an actual brokerage account and then buy ETF equivalents of those mutual funds. All right. In some cases, you can buy those mutual funds through the brokerage account. But the key is it is through an actual brokerage account, not a mutual fund account that holds mutual funds. Okay? That's one exception. This, by the way, oh, I mentioned ETFs. Ha, huh, I didn't define it. I'm sorry, somebody should yell at me on that one. ETFs are exchange-traded funds. These came out about, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago. I, I kind of started to notice them around eight years ago. wrote some articles on them probably about seven, eight years ago. They were a few hundred at that time. They're growing now into the thousands. They've become hugely popular for a number of reasons, one of which is you can have margin against them. And by the way, you can sell them short. So if you have a favorite ETF that, let's say, tracks the U.S. market, and you saw what my advisors were seeing a couple weeks ago and said, you know, time to start selling and selling short. If anything, you could literally sell your ETF and then sell twice as much as you originally held, as long as you have a margin account, of course. Secondly, I haven't found a brokerage firm, the other restriction here, I found a single brokerage firm that will allow a margin account on an IRA, neither traditional nor Roth. If you do know such a brokerage firm, please let me know. Now, do you remember our show with J.P. Dada a couple months ago? J.P. Dada of Entrust. 
self-directed IRAs. I specifically asked them about this, and some of you may have missed that because our topic is so heavily in the other investments that are specialized in. It's not an IRS regulation to disallow margin accounts, but that's what the brokerage firms will tell you. They usually say you're not allowed to take loans using IRAs as collateral. That, by the way, is not true. Some of us call it bunk. You see, many of our clients and investors take loans on real estate they buy in their IRAs. So it's not an IRS regulation. It's a house rule at the brokers. We just haven't found a broker to come up with a different house rule. This happens to be one of our specialties on the real estate side of things. We don't have margin accounts, and I, can't, and I can only kind of guide you through the process, but you need to set it up with a brokerage account, an actual licensed brokerage account. So when can you have a margin account? I just gave you all these exceptions when you can't. Mutual funds and IRAs, and that's where most people have their money. Well, on any non-IRA brokerage account, that you hold stocks, bonds, ETFs, or mutual funds purchased specifically through that brokerage account. Now, meeting those conditions does not mean you automatically have a margin account. Back to square one. You need to file for one. I have such a brokerage account, and I've had one for 30-plus years. It wasn't until I started to sell stocks short or do naked option writing did I set up a margin account. You need to request in writing usually, or fill it out in writing. You need to request it by telephone, maybe. But in writing, you need to sign an agreement for that margin account that you understand the risk, you understand that it's got to be paid back, you understand that interest rates vary, and all of those good things. It's not a big agreement. Usually, you have two, three pages. If you want to sell naked options, as I was many years ago, you'd also have a separate option agreement. So just having a margin agreement does not mean you can start doing options. By the way, I am not... I am not recommending options for most investors. So maybe don't sign that second one, although very often they're linked in one document. Get the margin account for sure. Absolutely get the margin account if you can. The option agreement I'm going to ask you to shy away from. And let me tell you why. I was already an experienced investor as many years ago, but a well-experienced investor, knew what I was doing, did, did um, many courses on investing and, and, and helped a lot of people. I nearly went bankrupt on options when the market went up, I had sold index options. I was at the risk of losing everything, including my home. So, experience or not, options can be very, very dangerous. Let me explain how a margin account works. That's probably your next question. And we'll talk about some of the risks which I just touched on. How does a margin account work? And how much can you borrow? The more important question, right? So I'm telling you to set up a margin account, but how much good is it going to do you? The assets in your brokerage account are collateral that you borrow against. Okay, so now I've got to give you, let's use an example. Otherwise, we'll go crazy with concepts. Let's assume you've got $100,000 in your brokerage account. Again, a non-IRA brokerage account, not held in just mutual funds, but in an actual brokerage account. If all of it were in money market, just cash, you could borrow around 100% or $100,000. If all of it were in stocks or ETFs, Bonds, you could borrow around 50%, around 50,000. And that's the number you should focus on, somewhere around 50%. That's kind of the general number most of us use on margin accounts. If you've got a 100,000 account, you can borrow around 50,000. Now, I give you approximate figures, because by the way, as with all things that are in the securities industry, there are intricate rules and exceptions. Let me give you some that I recall. And again, this would have been nice to have one of the brokers on, and they could have looked these things up before the show. 
stocks under a dollar share have zero percent margin. So, in other words, if you had all penny stocks, as they're called, under a dollar share, you couldn't use any margin. If you have some under five dollars a share, they might only be marginable. They might only provide you a loan twenty-five percent of their value. Now, your broker can give you those details, and by the way, likely he or she will actually have to look them up. Very few are very familiar with the actual rules. They actually have something called a margin desk. Sounds very impressive. And basically, that's some geeks in the back room that explain this stuff, or at least try to. I can't understand them. They start talking about uh, all of the exceptions, and well, you know, the number that we calculate isn't so simple because you have all of these uh, these various aspects, like how much margin you've already taken and whatever else. And, so anyway, those are those are the geeks. If they send you those guys, just ask the basic questions. How much margin can I get? And what can I do to increase that? Fortunately, once you set up your margin account, and it takes a couple of days if, if, if your account is qualified, you'll be able to check the margin cash available every single day. Online capability today is simple. You go on and say, what's my value? You know, how much margin cash available do I have? I should add, very important here, when I'm talking about how a margin account works and how much you can borrow, any mar- amount you borrow, will you'll have to pay interest. You pay it generally monthly. I paid mine around the 20th of the month, as I recall. It shows up on my statement. And on the average outstanding balance of the loan. So if you have a margin account, nothing outstanding, you're paying zero interest. But as you borrow, you will pay some. We'll talk about the interest rates in just a few moments here. By the way, if you pay all the income from your investments into that margin account, so in other words, you actually have a surplus, they will pay you interest. Generally, that interest today is higher than on money market accounts. So it's not a bad idea to keep your cash reserves in the margin account instead of in a money market. And by the way, the money markets are at risk of some of the European defaults. I went and checked mine. turns out they have mostly in companies. They do not have foreign governments. But if if your money market fund has a heavy percentage, and and the big ones have about 50% in European markets, and those are governments, you better go check what they hold. You might want to get the heck out of that money market, switch to something else. Anyway, back to the main FAQs here. Next one would come up with what are the risks of using margin loans? And, and what I talked about in, in, in the naked options is not a risk of a margin account. It's a risk of having both and doing the wrong things. So, Remember, the amount you borrow is linked to the value of your underlying assets. Our $100,000 example, right? You've got $100,000, you can borrow somewhere around 50000 today. If you borrow that full amount and the stock market goes down 5%, or I think it's somewhere around 4% already today, in that case, you're going to get what's called a margin call. That just basically means a call from your broker that says, you have a margin call. And you say, what the hell does that mean? And he says, well, you've got to pay in somewhere, let's say today it might be $2,000, or on a day like Thursday it would have been $2,500. You've got to pay in $2,500 to cover your margin call, and you've got to pay that in within 24 hours or 48 hours, depending on their policies. And it has to be in cash or certified funds, which generally means you're going to be spending money on wire transfers, which often has to be at their um, uh, margin desk within 24 hours or 48 hours. So you've got a short period of time to come up with that cash. And it, of course, can't come directly out of your, your, your brokerage fund because that's being used as collateral, and that just dropped in value. 
Okay, so you see the picture? I had 100,000. It's now only worth 95. I took a loan of 50. All of a sudden, I've got $2,500 that I owe my broker's margin account ASAP. Now, there is another option. Don't panic here. You could sell some of your stocks or the funds, the ETFs or anything else you have in their bonds to meet that margin call. But this you have to do immediately, like the day that you're going to get that margin call. Why? Because there's a three-day clearing window. The stock you sell won't, the cash won't be available for three days. But if it's done the same day, then those two will match up. You'll be okay, and I've done this in the past. But here's the bad news. Remember, you margined at 50%. So I now not sell $2,500 worth of stock. I have to sell $5,000 worth of stock in order to make that margin call clear up because now I've gone to cash on $5,000. That allows me more marginable funds. I'm okay. But now what happened? I've sold $5,000 worth of stock at a price that's lower than the day before. Not only aren't you happy selling 5% below what you could have gotten yesterday, you're also violating the first commandment of investing. You're selling low. Now, what happens if you can't pay? Well, the brokerage account starts to liquidate your holdings. Depending on their policy, they may liquidate sufficient amounts, like the $5,000, or they may liquidate everything. This is where it caused a major disaster, in my case, because the market was going up, my assets were rising, and they sold the assets in my brokerage account to cover the margin call, which made things worse, not better. Anyway, um, arbitration and all of that good stuff didn't help. They're, they've got themselves pretty well covered. So you, there is a risk. You've got to make sure that you're not running into that situation. We'll come back to what you can do to minimize those risks. Let me cover one more FAQ before I do that. Because you're saying, well, wait a minute, these risks, why the hell would I bother? Maybe this OPM isn't worth it. Maybe I'm not going to earn enough money. There are benefits, and they make them all worthwhile. I use my margin account regularly. We've got a lot of a lot of benefits. Most important is the fact that this is OPM. You're not borrowing your own money. Your money is still invested. Your hundred thousand is still invested the way you originally had an investment. You're able to borrow up to fifty thousand and invest that too. So now you're actually investing a hundred and fifty percent, up to one hundred and fifty percent of your funds. Hmm, you're investing more money than you have. It's called OPM. Now, you can invest in stocks, bonds, money markets, uh, ETFs. They wouldn't do it in money markets. You'd be losing money on the interest. You can invest in ETFs, by the way, today that are things like currencies, commodities, bear or short positions. So you can actually buy an ETF that shorts the market. And that's what I was doing the last few because it was within my IRA. So uh, in the last few uh, weeks, I've been uh, buying bear position uh, ETFs. Now, remember, I'm doing that buying or you're doing that buying without selling your original investments. Those investments are used as collateral to borrow money to invest more. And by the way, if your investments do well, you're able to borrow more. You have a growing fund. But don't assume that. Just assume you've got that 50000 in reserve. 
Now, when the market was very low in 2003, going back a few years, I was so optimistic that it would bounce back, and of course it did. I used my margin account to buy about 120% of the funds I had available. I didn't go all the way out on the, on the limb there. But I did very, very nicely. I had no problem beating the stock indices because I was buying more than I had money. And by the way, margin rates tend to be pretty attractive. I told you I'd answer this. I talked to Merrill Lynch, one of the, one of the companies I was hoping to have on, on uh, because they introduced this concept and because they've got such a low rate. They've got rates around 4% on their margin accounts, 4%. I, that's the lowest I found. If you find something lower, please let me know. I use Vanguard, and I'm paying around 7%. I didn't check in the last few months because I've been out of the office and our documents are stacking up. But uh, 7% isn't great, but when I have investments paying me 10 to 12% with monthly interest checks, I use that margin account like a line of credit. The spread between the 7 and 10 or 7 and 12 is my money, and that grows my portfolio. It's a great way to increase your average returns. Just keep in mind you still have your base portfolio in that um, brokerage account. And now if you pick up another five points or four points of, of uh, earnings, your compounding is absolutely phenomenal. Keep in mind, again, you still have your stock and bond portfolio in place. It's not instead of, it's in addition to. So you're investing more money than you have. You've used OPM, a margin account. All right, back to the risk side. I'm sure I got some of you worried. How do you minimize the risk? Here's some three simple rules. Okay, I like to do things in the cookbook when I can. First, don't borrow 100% of the amount available. So if you've got 50000 allocated, don't borrow all of it. Go with 40 some other lower number and manage that number. Watch how it, you know, how that amount varies each day. Heck, if you can borrow 50 today, chances are you'll be able to 60 or 70 uh, in, in a few weeks as the market bounces back. Assuming it bounces back, and it will. Second, invest those borrowed funds in secure instruments. Don't go buying options with them necessarily, uh, unless you're really good at option trading. Personally, invest the funds in private mortgage loans, just like we teach at our seminars. These loans pay me a monthly interest that's higher than I pay my broker. So I have a monthly interest that covers what the broker is charging me, and I'm keeping the difference. Now, there is a third, which is... Uh, okay, let me, get, let me cover that in a second. I got some notes here, and I know there's a third one, but let me, let me do that. Um, as I said, when, when my interest comes from my investments... I pay into that brokerage account that more than covers, and actually I'm increasing my brokerage account, my margin account, every time I'm paying in more money. So I'm actually building my marginable uh, account. Now, the loan that I've made using that money pays off. I pay off my margin account. Very simple. I mean, why the heck should I be paying 7% interest uh, and not earning it? So I pay it off. I'm using it just like a line of credit. I borrow when I have an investment to make. When that investment is closed out, I pay it off, I refill my line of credit, if you will, and I'm ready to go a third time or another time. Okay, here's your third reason, or your third way, sorry, third way to minimize your risks. Your investments in stocks ETFs should be diversified. Rule number five, commandment number five for investors, and hedged. Now, what does that mean? You want to know why buy stocks and ETFs when prices are low, logical, sell them when they're high, and then when prices are high, buy those bare or short, some ETFs. 
So when the market's high, you're shorting. When the market is low, you're buying. And in essence, you've got some hedge position in there because you're always going to have a little bit of everything. So what does that do? If the market does tank on a day like today, my short positions are going up in value. So my portfolio is not dropping as much as if I strictly owned stocks or ETFs. It'd be good to have some international as well as domestic positions. International stocks do move somewhat differently. Yes, they are all moving down lately, but they are different, and international stocks will give you a lower risk profile. So what am I saying? A well-diversified, hedged, and well-managed portfolio minimizes those risks. Do the stuff you should be doing anyway, and a lot of the risks of margin accounts are not so bad. I use them. I feel comfortable with them, and I feel comfortable with any competent investor using them to do what we're doing. Now, I don't have time to cover every aspect. We still have one more OPM source to cover, so I'm, I'm not going to have time to cover every single aspect. But right, frankly, I've covered probably 90% of what you need to know. Now it's time for action. You have a brokerage account? Call your broker. See how much margin you could have available. Get that margin account set up. You never know when you're going to want to use it. And... Uh, once you have it in place, I can help you increase the returns on that portfolio. Now, once you're convinced that our strategy does better than stocks and bonds, which it has for the last 14 years, you're going to probably consider shifting more of that brokerage account into private mortgage loans. That's another topic. That might be next year. It might be two years from now. It might be three years from now. But right now, take advantage of the OPM that's out there and go back to the fact that the government is putting a path in place for you to write off that OPM, write, pay off that OPM much, much cheaper than um, you would have in the past. Okay, let's go to our third topic today. Coming a lot. We kind of like sipping from a fire hose, right? I, I guess I should remind you, you listen to Wealth DNA radio show. Or this is the third in the series, third final in the series on OPM. And our third topic today is private lenders as a source of OPM, other people's money. Now, what is a private lender? So I guess I'll stick with this FAQs format since my notes are in this format. It's a private individual or company lending money against some collateral. There's no official definition out there. This is mine. Let me repeat it. A private individual or company, lending money against some collateral. When I personalize it, you're going to see that you're probably already a private lender. If you invested in bonds, those are loans. If you invested in treasury bills, those are loans. Or CDs, they're loans. Or you've lent money to a friend or relative, you are a private lender. You say, oh, no, I bought bonds. Yeah, right, okay. You lent money to a company or to a government. That's what it is. You are a private lender. Now, if your company does the same thing, let's say you've got an LLC and, and you've got some spare cash and you're buying T-bills or CDs or uh, bonds, you are, that company is a private lender. Private does not mean just an individual. It can be a private company. Okay. Now, in each of these examples I mentioned, there was some collateral. Well, friends and relatives uh, lending to them, sometimes we forget about the collateral. It's not a good idea, but somehow we do it. Many of our private lenders are indeed companies. See, companies have cash sitting on the sidelines. They have to. They're saving up for things. They've got to you know, have a cash reserve. And, and uh, we specifically set up programs geared to short-term investing that allows them to get at it if they need to. So it makes it attractive to companies as well as individuals. So uh, as we move forward, keep companies in mind as well as private individuals. 
But that's really your, probably your next question. How do I find private lenders? Do they grow on trees? Well, start with your own network, your friends and your relatives. And the question I like to start with, do you know any of them that still invest in CDs? You know, bank CDs, they stand for Bank Certificate of Depreciation. They earn nothing, like half a percent or 1%. They're falling behind inflation. Keep in mind our, our shows in the past talking about what our current real inflation rates are. And the little that you earn from those certificates of depreciation, sorry, CDs, it's taxable. So the, by, by the time they take, by the time you take the money out of that CD, it will be worth less, I didn't say worthless, but worth less than when you lent it to the bank. And yes, a CD is a loan to the bank. Do you remember the phrase, or you heard the phrase, risk-free return? That's usually kind of in the capital asset pricing model. If I'm ahead of you, don't worry about that. But anyway, risk-free return is kind of a, no, a notion that was used for T-bills and CDs. Well, after the debt debacle, and after what I talked about earlier in this show, you might start realizing those are not risk-free returns. We've started to refer to CDs and T-bills and T-bonds, these low-return investments, as return-free risk. You see, you have risk. They could give you a haircut and say, oh, we just don't have enough money in Treasury. We're only going to give you 5000 on your 10000 That's the example I used earlier. You have risk but you're getting no return. So call it return-free risk, not risk-free return. You take some risk, and you earn nothing. Okay, uh, so that's your first thing, is ask people that have CDs or maybe treasury bills. Uh, why are they doing that? Do they know there's other options? And work with them to borrow that money and pay them a higher return than they would have earned otherwise. Now, here's another source. Who do you know that whines about the stock market and how it's gone down and it keeps going down and I've lost my shirt and I can't stand it. I can't believe I continue to invest in stocks. They really would benefit because if they're getting a steady return, they will beat the stock market. A steady return of 5% has beat the stock market for the last 14 years. Scary stuff. We mentioned at the seminars, you see the graphs and I'll gladly share those with anybody that sends me an email asking for them. And how about your vendors that might have cash reserves, people that you hire to do things, your landscaper, your uh, uh, painters, your whoever. They earn nothing in their checking accounts. Talk to them about earning a higher return and the potential to become private lenders. Okay, how do you attract them to lend to you? Well, there is no simple answer. Obviously, you have to ask in order to, um, to for something to happen, but there's no real simple way to do it. Let me give you one idea, and especially with sophisticated investors, I'm going to recommend this one. Just invite them to our seminars. Let us teach them the benefits of being a private lender, and then you talk to them about strike and deal with them. Let's say you promise them 2% above the rate they're currently earning on their CDs, or 3% even, with a personal guarantee from you. There's collateral. If you're a good, solid citizen that pays all of your bills, why not? Okay, 2 or 3%, you've got cheap money. And then they can track it, and they say, okay, you know, six months from now, it'll be a new rate, because now the CD rates have gone from 0.2% to 0.25. Big deal. You're paying them, let's say, three and a quarter. Boy, that's cheap money. Or you could do a private mortgage loan with us and then do a collateral assignment 
to back their loan. They would actually have collateral, the property that you did the property mortgage loan on, but you pay them a lower interest rate than you are earning. Then you use the money they lent you to do the next private mortgage loan, and you do it again. Now, whatever you earn, the spread you're earning between what you're paying them and what you're earning is your money. Okay? That's called earning money on other people's money. You could partner with them. Let me throw out one more idea as a thought starter. You could partner with them. Let's say you set up a deal where you earn a percentage of what they get. So in other words, they invest directly in one of our earn a, earn a, earn a higher return strategies. They earn, they get it directly, but you get a percentage of their premium that they're earning because they didn't know about this. So instead of earning half a percent, they're earning, let's say, 6%, and they say, okay, I'll give you a 20% cut of that because I wouldn't have had this opportunity. That still is a great way to do it. These are just some thought starters, but there is no simple answer. Since banks aren't lending, our primary source of funds today for our real estate fund are private mortgage loans. We'll gladly work with you to find ways to borrow from Aunt Sally or from your cousin or from Fred the Barber because he has some cash reserves. It's a good deal for you and we'll make sure it's a good deal for them. You see, if it's a good deal for them, they'll bring more of their friends to help you earn more. We'll work with you also to find ways to secure them. I already mentioned one where they would actually have a collateral assignment. They own the note that you have. But we'll work with you to secure their transactions and to make sure that you earn a spread and you earn it legally. You cannot get a commission. That's not allowed. That's into the securities licensing stuff. But we'll work with you to ways to do that. So uh, all sorts of different ways, but private lenders out there are a great source. By the way, if you have more sophisticated lenders, I suggest you bring them to our seminars. Work out a deal with them that says uh, you're currently earning what kind of return? If I can help you earn a higher return, what percentage of that would you be willing to share with me? You can set up an LLC and you get an X percent of the profits or the profits above, let's say, 1% of whatever they were earning before. You handle the administration, get the LLC set up, those kinds of things to bring the value in and you're earning money on the additional money they earn. They're happy, you're happy. But the bottom line on private lenders, this is important to know, there are millions of people out there with money that earned miserable returns since they don't know what you know. Miserable returns. Just look at the stock market over the last 14 years and continuing right into today. They'll gladly share the gains if you help them earn a better return. And the returns will beat inflation and increase as inflation increases. You know that CDs and T-bills are not keeping up with inflation. They don't cover it now, and they won't in the future. And forget the tips. They're paying a negative return. They just go up from negative if inflation kicks in, when it kicks in. That's for not an F. Now, if you help one person, they're going to bring five more friends to invest with you. So this is one of those word of mouth. You will not be able to contact their friends until they're happy. They'll contact you. But there's a real important note. If you cheat one of those people, 20 more will hear about it, and you'll need to find another way to make money. We, unfortunately, a number of years ago, lent to such a crook, 
He then moved out of state and filed for bankruptcy. We Our loan is secured, but the property is worth much less. We're working hard to put him in jail instead of getting forgiveness from bankruptcy court. He's one guy, one guy that can ruin an entire local economy since people are now afraid to do the right thing, to earn a higher return legitimately because of a crook like him. Okay, let's wrap up for today. I'm going to probably run, overrun a little bit. My apologies, but quite frankly, um, as I said, we had a lot to cover today. In our prior two shows, we covered three sources of OPM. If you didn't hear them, they're in the archives. Well, I'll mention that in a second. Credit cards, number one. The easy ones, 0% rates, the ones you shred or throw away. Don't do it. Use them. Mortgages, the most debated, but you heard the logic. We can work through the numbers. Really makes sense to mortgage as much as you can today. Life insurance, the infinite banking concept we talked about in the last show. And today we covered margin accounts and private lenders. We also discussed why the government paved not just a path, but a whole superhighway to devalue the U.S. dollar and similarly the euro. So the U.S. government's paved the superhighway to devalue the U.S. dollar, and the European governments are paving a superhighway to devalue the euro. It's gone so far that the only way the governments can get out of the mess that they've created of borrowing too much is to devalue the currency. You or I couldn't do that, but the government has so much debt they can. Now, one important note, and I should have made this note at each of the last um, shows, the OPM I'm talking about is not used for spending. Should I repeat that? And I'll make sure that if you come back and say, I told you to use OPM and go spend it because inflation is going up, uh, I will make sure we play this portion of the show, okay? It is not for spending. This OPM you borrow is for investing. You borrow, you pay a low interest rate, you invest and earn a higher rate. That's called a spread, that's called profit, that's called earning money on other people's money. Okay, It is not for spending. Don't go do what the government does. Borrow OPM and go spend it. That's not what I'm talking about. Never mentioned it, but I really should give you that immediate disclaimer. It's not for spending. Okay, With devaluation, that is certain. Whether they would have defaulted, it would have been a quick devaluation, or they've picked the path they have, will continue the devaluation we've seen we will get inflation. Now, you heard that from the guests on this show last fall. We had H.L. Quist talking about the scenario. He is one of my financial advisors. And Don Goldwater talking about inflation and the way the government cooks the books. They, in essence, tell you what the inflation rate is artificially because they've taken out things that are going up in price. Inflation sure looks low. If you take everything out, it goes up in price. The archives to those shows, like all of them, like the other two shows in OPM, are on www.wealthdna.us. Now, you already see inflation at the gas pumps. I sure see it. You see it at the grocery store. You see it in your insurance rates rising, especially medical. HOA fees rising. How about telecom fees? Local taxes rising. That is not going to stop as inflation ticks up. Soon, you'll start seeing rents rise. That, by the way, will help drive up the price of housing. Since landlords can make money again, they'll buy more properties. 
You see, when landlords used to buy properties to eventually get appreciation, they were losing money in the short term. It didn't make sense. Now, when you're cash flowing, it really makes sense. So rents will rise. House prices will rise. I can assure you it seems like a never-ending battle, and the government is doing their best to really slow that down. Banks aren't helping. You see, if the banks were lending and borrowing normally, it would already be happening. Housing prices would be going up. But they're actually contributing to going down because they're worried about the FDIC shutting down their bank because of their lousy balance sheet. They're dumping properties at extremely low prices, which is spiraling things downward. So in the short term, we'll still, we're still seeing, seeing long, the wrong trend. But that appears to be ending. Remember Mike uh, Orr? Got to mention him on our show uh, several months ago. Again, in the archives, Michael Orr talked about probably by October we will see prices starting to rise just based on the numbers. He's a numbers guy, not a macroeconomics guy. The demand for money is high. Banks aren't lending, and I can trust me, the, bank, the, the demand for money is high, and it is rising, which means interest rates will rise despite what the government has, tells you. If there's a lot of borrowing needs to happen and there's not enough money to lend, interest rates have to go up. And you see, when the interest rates go up, the government will soon be printing money to just pay interest on their prior debt. The good news, their debts and our debts will be easier to pay off each year as inflation and interest rates rise. That's why I'm encouraging you to use what you've learned in the last few shows. For those of you that can't find those opportunities to earn 5% or more secured, I invite you to join us at a Learn to Earn Higher Return Seminar. The next one is, as I mentioned, tomorrow. That's Tuesday, August 8th. Is that correct? Tuesday, August 9th. That sounds like 8th is today, right? So Tuesday, August 9th. Correction, sorry about that. At 10.15 a.m., that part is true. It's at Entrust Arizona's Knowledge Center up in North Phoenix. If you haven't received information about our seminars in the past, Send me an email and tell me you'd like to get them, and we'll make sure you're also uh, aware of each of our shows. At that seminar and each of the ones we give, you're going to learn how I make money in real estate without necessarily buying, renting, or selling. That's right. No commissions and no tenants to deal with. Or talk to me personally. We'll talk about this strategy. Let me remind you about our next Wealth DNA radio show. It's the fourth Monday of August. That's Monday, August 22nd. That date is correct. 14 plus plus, uh, uh, 8, which is today, is 22nd. That's at 8 a.m. Arizona time. Same place, same time. So if you're at 5 o'clock in Europe, it will be 5 o'clock on August 22nd. Hopefully my voice will be back. I haven't set up a topic or a guest yet, so your suggestions are welcome, as always. I guess I don't ask you for that, but feel free to send me suggestions. We will have a good topic, an important one. Hopefully it's not because of a government default or some other stupid thing going on, but uh, we will be talking about your investment money and how to take advantage of things. We won't be talking as much about OPM. I might summarize a couple points if I've had questions. Now, if you haven't received emails reminding you about the show, just send an email to ron at wealthdna.us keep you posted about future shows and events or click the follow button in the upper left hand corner all the way up at the top of the page and you'll automatically get email reminders you now know five places to find OPM other people's money if you have the desire to be wealthy 
you now have the knowledge. So it's time to take action. The rest is up to you. Start taking full advantage of the five OPM strategies we covered in these last three shows. Happy borrowing and happy investing. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with the Ronald, Ron Naraki. Wealth DNA is a Boomer and the Babe Enterprises radio production. Contact them at boomerandthebabe.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.